0: I'm a Booker, I'm a Thank you for downloading this episode of I'm a booker, booker a novel podcast about books and the people who write them. An invisible enemy has turned our lives upside down. We now live in a world where a roll of toilet paper is more sought after than a first edition of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone where current from the internet is an instant epidemiologist and has a meme to prove it. Where smoking dacha is legal and going to work will land you a prison sentence. We travel into the heart of the lockdown to bring you, I'm a Booker, Booker The Quarantine Chronicles. Authors Lockdown, T minus 19 days to freedom.
1: If crime writing had a king, it would probably be Lee Child. If it had a mayor, it would definitely be today's guest, the award-winning, best-selling Dion Mayer, who has written 13 novels which have been translated into 27 languages and published in more than 40 countries. His gritty novels pop with true-to-life characters like Benny Grissel. Dion's books are entertaining and thrilling and will keep you on the edge of your seat. Or, as Wilbur Smith says, Mayer grabs you by the throat and never lets go. Dion's 2017 book Fever, described by Stephen King as great stuff, imagines the world devastated by an infectious disease that spreads rapidly and catastrophically before preventative measures or an effective treatment can be developed. Sound familiar? Welcome to Am a Booker Booker Dion. Would you please read an extract from Fever?
2: It'll be my pleasure. They knew the fever came out of Africa they knew it was two viruses that combined, one from people and one from bats. In those days, they wrote a lot about it before everyone died. One doctor wrote in a magazine that nobody knew exactly how it all began, but this is how they thought it might have happened. A man somewhere in tropical Africa lay down under a mango tree. The man's resistance was low because he was HIV positive and not being treated for it. There was already one coronavirus in the man's blood. There was nothing strange about that. Coronaviruses were quite common. In the era before the fever, they knew of at least four that caused flu and cold symptoms in people. Coronaviruses also occurred in animals, mammals and birds. In the mango tree, there was a bat with a different kind of coronavirus in its blood. The bat was sick. Diarrhea caused it to defecate on the face of the man under the tree, his eyes or his nose or his mouth. The second coronavirus was now in the man's blood, the two viruses multiplying together in the same cells of the man's windpipe and their genetic material combined. A new coronavirus was born, one that could infect other people easily when inhaled and with the ability to make them extremely ill. The man under the mango tree lived in a poor community where people were crammed together and where the incidence of HIV was high. He quickly infected others. The new virus spread through the community and kept on mutating. One mutation was perfect. It spread easily through the air, taking long enough to kill for each person to have infected many others. One of the family members of the man under the mango tree worked at an airport in the nearby city. The family member was incubating the perfect virus. He coughed on a passenger just before the woman took flight to England. In England, there was a big international sporting event. All the first world countries had a protocol for deadly infectious diseases. Even most of the developing countries had extensive plans for such an incident. There were guidelines and systems for an epidemic. In theory, these should have worked, but nature pays no heed to theories and nor did human fallibility.
1: Wow, Sure, I've got goosebumps. When news of the novel (laughs) coronavirus, as opposed to the novel fever, broke, did you think you had been plagiarized?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, it it was interesting. I mean, when when the news broke in China, I had by that time forgotten that I used the coronavirus because I did so much research uh, in writing uh, the novel fever. It took me three or four years of research and I looked at so many different viruses, and I remember, in this specific case, I ended up contacting Professor Wolfgang Preiser at the Stella Bosch University, who is a virologist, and I said, "Help me create a virus." And this was actually his idea. The whole the whole virus was designed by him and one of his colleagues um, in London, uh, and they gave me all this. So when the, the the news from China broke, I couldn't remember that I used the coronavirus because you know this. I wrote this novel a few years ago. And then somebody reminded me and I went back to read what I had written. And uh, that was a bit scary.
1: And if only the world's leaders had read Fever, they would have known that they should be preparing.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, the, the interesting thing to me is that I remember distinctly when I, I spoke to a lot of experts uh, during the research for that novel. And the message they all came back with was, we are not ready. If something really bad happens, if there's a, a virus uh, or a bacterium for that matter uh, that is highly infectious, and, you know, the interesting thing about viruses is that the combination of how, how long people are infected, for instance, before they die, uh, and how it is transmitted, that has got to be a perfect little storm for it to create a pandemic. And that is what we have now. So it's really, for me, an incredible thing looking back now uh, and thinking about the world that I created. The good news is that the virus in my book killed off a lot more people than uh, COVID-19 will ever do, uh, which I suppose is the good news. You talk a lot about the
1: research that you did. I read somewhere how you found the research, I think you said it, it was the most professional fun you did doing the research into fever.
2: Yeah. The the funny thing was that the writing of the book was probably uh, the most fun I've ever had writing a book and also researching it because the book had so many aspects to it. The, the book is not about the pandemic itself. The book is about uh, after the pandemic, after this apocalypse and how people survive and they start a little community at uh, uh, the Van Dam. Uh, so I had to do a lot of research on What would we lose in such an apocalypse? What would remain, uh, how difficult would it be to generate electricity, to to grow uh, crops again, to to herd cattle and sheep? What would happen to nature? What would happen to all the dogs if 95% of the world population died out? What would happen to our pets? Uh, That sort of thing. So I had a lot of fun researching all of that.
1: So it's two days into isolation. Have you run out of toilet paper yet?
2: no we uh we didn't think it would be a problem so we haven't been hoarding and you know the supermarkets are open so we we, we're cool so far
1: (laughs) according to your twitter profile you love bikes and cheese did you stockpile cheese
2: that was one of the sad things by the time we realized that we had to start stockpiling stuff like that all the good mature cheddar in town was sold out we couldn't find any good cheese so i am afraid We're going without uh, cheese at the moment. The best uh, mature cheddar seems to be imported from the UK. uh, And that avenue is now closed down. So I'm going to be without cheese for some time to come.
1: So in order to console you, I've got two cheese jokes for you. What's the best cheese to entice a bear down from a tree? I don't know. Camembert. Camembert. And this is my favorite. What did the cheese say when it saw itself in the mirror? Tell me. Hello me. Hello me. <laughs> Those are very cheesy jokes.
2: So yeah, cheesy. <laughs> How would you cope without riding your bike? Well, you know, it, to me, that was one of the other wonderful things when we realized that we wouldn't be able... The government first said it was going to be okay to go for a jog or a bike ride, and then they said No. Uh, and then I went to the bike store to try and find one of these things that you can attach to your bike and ride it stationary in your living room or garage, and they were sold out. Everybody was looking for the same thing, but the bike shop told me that there's a spinning studio in in town in Stellenbosch. They have to close down under the lockdown, but they are renting out their spinning bikes, so I'm renting a spinning bike uh, for the month. It's standing in front of the TV at the moment, and uh, Mariana and I, every afternoon, we put it on some super sport channel and then we, we spin for about 40 minutes to an hour.
1: How do you know when it's time for a character to die?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's a very tough question because you get very attached to the characters. Um, but I, I follow the story. If the story demands that a character dies, then, then so be it. If everything is in service of the story and that strengthens the story, makes it more absorbing and suspenseful, then uh, I'm sorry, the character has to go
1: which one of your characters would you like to be in isolation with and why
2: well uh, to be honest with you none of them because <laughs> my, my chief by my, my detective uh benny Grissel is an alcoholic so that's going to be really tough his partner von, von cupido is really full of himself so that's going to be tough <laughs> uh, Emma, another character is not very talkative so he's going to be of no use so I think you know, let's me and my wife. It's fine. I don't need these other guys.
1: <laughs> what is your strategy for not going stir crazy during the lockdown?
2: Writing mostly. I I read an interesting article the other night. Uh, it was written. someone asked an astronaut who was on the space station, how do you cope with this sort of isolation? And he said one of the most important things is to have a, a schedule, to have a, a routine, uh, and I've I've got a writing routine which is in isolation anyway. So I sort of stick to that and and that helps a lot. Uh, We have one of our, two of the kids in in the house as well. So, uh, and Maret, uh, one of our daughters, she's a a personal trainer, gym trainer. So in the morning I write until about 11 o'clock and then Maret takes us for a bit of weight training and then we bry or we cook together and then I come back writing. And as I said, in the afternoon, it's spinning and in the evening movies. So the schedule makes it a lot easier for us uh, to cope. The podcast
1: Desert Island Discs allows participants to take with them to a desert Island, a song and a luxury item. One of each. I'm a booker booker is much more generous and we will allow you to take a song, a luxury item and a book into your lockdown.
2: Which three things will you take with you? Um, I think the book, probably the, uh, complete works of William Shakespeare, because uh, that's going to last a long time. Okay. And, uh, that I'm that huge a Shakespeare fan I mean I admire the hell out of him but at least that'll, that'll keep one busy for a while uh, the, the song is that the other one I have to choose yeah uh, probably Mozart's uh, 27th uh, piano concerto uh, that always gives me great pleasure I can listen to it a thousand times and then the luxury item that's a that's a really tough one um, well probably our mountain bikes I mean if we can't take that that'll be cool and now for the sound effects, Rorschach test. <laughs> um, you know, that reminds me, I many years ago, I, I met a really beautiful girl and I was a little bit in love with her. And then when I heard her laughing for the first time, I knew that this was not a match made in heaven. And it didn't progress. I just thought, if I had to listen to that laugh for the rest of my life, I'll go nuts. <laughs> uh, that, that reminds me, we were living in Melbourne Strand, and we had a lot of slugs. Uh, and I got the advice that uh, if we got two uh, ducks, They would uh, take care of all the slugs in the garden. And they did. We got these two uh, ducks. But the problem was, they were both males. They were so aggressive that you couldn't go out in the garden. They, you know, often they ate the slugs. They just chased us around all the time. I had to get rid of them. Ah, that's the sound of one of my characters, Lemmer, taking care of a bunch of Harley Davidson riders. And uh, it's something that I I would have loved to be a part of. That's the neighbor's dog. When I'm writing and I hear this incessant barking of this damn dog, (laughs) I want to... I want to do something. I tell you it's the most frustrating thing It's this little dog and it's got this high pitched bark that goes through you right through your head and it doesn't matter how much you concentrate on the writing it just take, pulls you out of the book uh, so please don't play that again guys <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Well that that sounds like uh the, the after party at a literary festival and then Eskom switched off the lights. <laughs> okay, that reminds me of our, our front door bell. We uh we live on a, a a house in Stellenbosch that it's a very old house and it's sort of built on, on three levels because it's on a slope. And to get to the front door you have to climb all these stairs. Uh, and every time I hear that sound I think okay here we go up the stairs <laughs> <laughs> that's my old friend Jan de Tue, my old motorcycle friend Jan de Tue. when uh, he's being silly he laughs like that
1: thank you so much Dion we look forward to reading your next book
2: thank you guys that was a lot of fun stay safe and uh, see you on the other side Dion's
0: 13 novels are available as eBooks on all platforms. Read them all and your time in isolation will go by in a flash. Thank you for listening to I'm a Booker, Booker The Quarantine Chronicles, live from the lockdown. You can subscribe to I'm a Booker Booker on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a Booker Booker is produced by Jonathan Anser and Dan Dews and brought to you by Books Live in collaboration with Multimedia Live authors who would like to be featured email jonathan.answer at gmail.com i'm a